0: I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road.
1: Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We exist in this wasteland, a podcast reduced to a single instinct. Watch Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute four, which begins with Max crawling away from his overturned interceptor, and it ends with Max thrashing war boys. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. We begin this minute with Max crawling slowly from the wreckage of his interceptor. And we get a quick flash, right here at the top, like a second into this minute, of Max and Little Glory. And I forgot to mention something on Friday that I'm glad we get to bring it up now. Seeing Glory get run over by those machines is our first instance of child death!
0: Yay!
1: (laughs) It was fairly early, too.
0: Well, yes. I mean, considering... Let's see. In Mad Max 79, it took most of the movie.
1: hmm We didn't get child death until minute 74 when Sprague was run over.
0: Yep. And then in Road Warrior, was there any child death?
1: Nope. The Excellent. only child I can think of is the feral child, and he survived all the way through to become the narrator. So nice. So he was fine. And then in Thunderdome, we had to wait until minute 73 before it was confirmed that Finn McCoo did not survive the quicksand. True. So not bad going all the way from the 70s to the third minute.
0: I think that's another indication, even this early on, this is a very different movie than we have dealt with in the past. hmm I was also thinking about these flashes that we're getting and how you kind of have to read those comics.
1: You really do.
0: To understand what Max is going through right now, you need to know who Glory is. Yes, we understand that he is having a psychotic episode. But what that means to him, we don't know unless you know who Glory is.
1: I was thinking about that same exact thing. And without that background, this is just some random little girl. That is the manifestation of his trauma coming back to haunt him.
0: Without the context of the comic... I think one would assume that this is his daughter.
1: Which is probably why the guys over at Avalanche Studios messed up that detail in the very short flashback intro to the video game.
0: Do you think they messed it up? Or do you think that they assumed that the casual viewer would assume that Glory is Max's daughter?
1: I've had a lot of time to think of it since I played the video game, and... I honestly have no idea what they were thinking.
0: I like the idea that they were rolling with the casual viewer's assumptions, because a casual viewer can also turn into a casual player really easily. While the fanatics, like you and I, if you're going to do a Mad Max video game in canon, it's got to be really well in canon. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they can't do that because they can't make Max look like Max, they can't make him look like either Mel Gibson or Tom Hardy, they can't do the voices, there's all sorts of things in canon that they can't do, so why play to the fanatics? Why not play to the casual viewer?
1: So they couldn't go big. They also couldn't go home. So they just kind of went. Yeah. All right.
0: Now, I'm not familiar enough with the game. Was the game a financial success?
1: Probably not. I have not looked up the numbers for it, but it wasn't the type of game that made all of the money in the world that ever was, and Uh therefore it was probably seen as a financial loss all over because that's how video game companies are. If you don't make all of the money, then you have failed.
0: Well, video games are extremely expensive to make.
1: That's true. But just recently, as we're recording this in January, a report came out to say that video games made up 50% of entertainment spending in Great Britain for 2018.
0: Wow, that's a lot.
1: So they are making money hand over fist.
0: Yes, they are. I believe it was an old episode of The No from Rooster Teeth that broke down where your 60 bucks goes. And it was fascinating. I'd never seen an in-depth look at what it takes to make a video game from the animators and the writers and the voice actors to distributors to advertising that everybody gets a piece of this pie. And by the time you divide up 60 bucks, it's not that much.
1: Speaking of the video game, and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but for the Mad Max game specifically, Avalanche went to West Coast Customs and they took, I think it was a Camaro or something, and they pulled the Camaro body off and dropped it onto the frame of a Ford F-150 and created a car out of the game in real life, and they brought it to Wasteland Weekend, and everyone was very impressed, and they took pictures with it. But that's one of those extra financial things that they have to cover as part of their advertising budget.
0: Yeah, and that was not cheap.
1: Certainly not. Those are
0: two very expensive cars.
1: And a lot of very custom work. Yes. But going back to Glory and the supplemental material, I think the important thing here is that we're able to recognize that Max is in a different state than we left him at the end of Beyond Thunderdome. He was on a high then. He had some really good wins. He beat the bad guy. He helped the people escape. And here we are picking up with him at the beginning of Fury Road and being like, oh yeah, he's had a couple of losses along the way. So even if we don't have all of the backstory that's included in the comic book, we get through these flashes and these quick little scenes that, okay, there have been a few L's that have racked up on the one side of the column there.
0: I feel like Max just can't catch a break. We have seen now four stories of what his life is like, but they're very isolated, and a great deal of time has passed. So we can only surmise, and the comic books certainly fill in a lot of those gaps, but we can really only surmise what life is like for him on a daily basis outside of these four stories that we have. And I think this Max in this movie is really the one who exhibits the most mental damage. Max, from the end of Mad Max 79, he had just experienced the first tragic portion of his life, losing his best friend and then his wife and son. He just barely started down that path of madness, and it was a very quiet madness. It was a very introspective madness. And now, all these years later, that madness is coming out, and it's more violent, and it's more prevalent. It's much more in your face.
1: Like a mental tumor.
0: Exactly. When you first start a tumor, it's not really causing a lot of damage. It starts small. It starts quiet. It starts hidden. And it's not until it starts bumping up against other things that you start to... Feel like you have problems. And this tumor has taken over.
1: Getting back into the minute, as Max is crawling away from this overturned car, we start to hear a little bit of voiceover again. But before I get into the voiceover, I wanted to call everyone's attention to the crowd of war boys that have descended on the interceptor. And there are a couple that are hooping and hollering and celebrating the fact that they've found this car there's one in particular he's got two thunder sticks and he's like yeah we did it but there's one that has hopped up on top of the interceptor and is starting to poke around and i think that's the bomb defusal war boy he's getting on there trying to look for improvised trap devices, because that's the exact type of place that Max would put an improvised explosive device like we saw in Road Warrior. So yes, hooray, we flipped the car. Next step, let's make sure it doesn't blow up on us.
0: Yeah, I think all this time in this post-apocalyptic world, more and more people have become like Max, both mad and very protective of their belongings Mm -hmm. to the point of booby trapping them speaking so i can't imagine that it's all that uncommon
1: speaking of booby traps there's a fun little joke in the comic book where max is driving his little tuk tuck car and he parks it in gas town and someone comes up to harass him and they put their hands on his little three-wheeled trike thing and max is like you better not move i have booby trapped it and so this guy stands there with his hands on max's <laughs> tuck tuck all the way through the thunderdome fight through getting the rewards for it all of that drama and he comes back with this engine and the guy is still standing there with his hands on the tuk-tuk and max tells him to go away and he's like no it'll explode and max is like i lied there's no explosive on there and he's like oh you tricked me
0: yeah because not only did he get to play a trick on a guy who was being annoying but he also got a free guard for his car
1: exactly you had some frenzied dude saying get away it's gonna blow up don't make
0: me move yeah
1: Nice. (laughs) Max does not get far with his crawling. A war boy comes up, puts their boot on his back, and then holds him down at the point of a gun, giving us the first glimpse at how many weapons we're going to be seeing in this movie. I was not able to properly identify what kind of rifle this was, but it is decorated with a tiny little animal skull on the barrel. Yes, it is. The barrel is sticking through the jaws, so it's got this little... Row of teeth around it. Mm Mm-hmm. Adorable. As far as wasteland decoration goes.
0: Right. Well, when all you have is what's scavenged, you scavenge everything.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And so with the voiceover, Max says, I exist in this wasteland. A man reduced to a single instinct, survive. So last week we brought up how, after Road Warrior, Max's goal in life was to rebuild the Interceptor. He was going around existing in the wasteland with this task that he had given himself to finish. And I don't know exactly how much time has passed between the end of the comic book and what we see here at the beginning of Fury Road, but it could be that he put that car together, got it away from the Buzzards, lost hope and glory, which appropriate names there, and then got back in his Interceptor and thought, okay, I have my Interceptor, I can be the Road Warrior again. I can be the guy that I was at the beginning of Road Warrior, driving around, getting gasoline, helping people, I guess. I don't know if he'd actually be in that mindset of, I want to go out and help people, but he's always been, at the back of his mind, a cop.
0: Yeah, I don't think he will ever completely shed that identity.
1: Yeah, he may not want to help people, but I don't think his character would allow him to turn away from those people that really need him like he'll try he'll try so hard like if he can find if he can find an excuse not to go out of his way to help someone I'm sure he'd do that but I don't think Max is the kind of guy who could pass up an opportunity to gain something even though it means helping people does that make sense I feel like I'm dancing around a subject here that I can't put my finger on
0: I agree that it's something you can't quite put your finger on It's something that we have been exploring for three seasons already. It's a major theme of this movie, so it's okay that you can't put your finger on it right now because we have 120 more episodes to explore that subject. Mm -hmm.
1: Good point. I guess what I was trying to get to is that because Max doesn't have a task or something to strive for, I have to wonder if him talking about a man reduced to a single instinct just survive, if he's lost that sense of direction that rebuilding the Interceptor gave him.
0: I absolutely agree. I think that that is the case. I think he has no more goals.
1: Okay. I thought I felt a butt coming.
0: No, I don't think so. I think I agree with you on that point. He seems a little aimless, although, which is another way of saying but cars are never done.
1: That's very true.
0: You can have a perfectly brand new car. You drive it all around for a little while. Guess what? You need an oil change. You drive around for a little while longer, you're going to keep needing oil changes and then you're going to need new tires and then you're going to need an alignment and cars are never done. He can just keep working on his car and it's entirely possible that he's got 3,000 miles till the next oil change. So for right now, in this moment, he doesn't have anything to do except survive until the next time his car needs an oil change.
1: There is a detail coming later on in this minute that is going to highlight that there is indeed something that this car requires that he does not currently have, but we'll talk about that when we get to the tattooing scene. But before we can do that, we get to see Max being dragged behind the Interceptor as it's being towed, and... The guys over at CinemaSins point out that dragging Max back to the Citadel like this would mean that the Warboys cannot go as fast as a normal vehicle would be able to drive on this terrain. And they complained about, oh, this would drive me crazy. And
0: Well, it's really stupid.
1: While I'm not saying that it's not going to be slow and that it's not going to get drawn out, I'm looking at the Interceptor get towed behind this thing. Now, considering it just got blown up, The fact that there are two tires intact that they can roll at all is pretty impressive. But the terrain they're rolling over is really rocky and really uneven. And if you can avoid going fast on that type of terrain, you can avoid throwing rocks around. So I think this is twofold. One, they get to have a little fun with Max. And two, they can ride in a fairly casual way back to the Citadel without having to worry about damaging a tire or throwing a rock and having it hit someone, it just doesn't strike me as them being in a big hurry to get back.
0: Yeah, I don't buy it. I mean, cinematically, of course, it was the right way to go. It's a great moment in this minute. It takes us from one setting to another setting. It's perfect the way that it is. But practically, it's absolutely not. The fact that they have a dragging style tow truck rather than a flatbed style tow truck I know they don't have a great deal of control over what kind of vehicles they have, but come on, you need a flatbed tow truck in this kind of world precisely because this style, with it dragging, with a car that's just been flipped over several times, you're right, they can't go fast. And their speed makes them vulnerable. To what? I don't know, but there's stuff out there. There are other factions and other cities. There are other territories. And them going slow like this makes them an easy target.
1: Perhaps. I will not begrudge you the idea that there are other factions out there, but I was just looking at how close they are to the Citadel, how tightly their ranks are as they're rolling along. They seem to be moving in a sort of turtle formation with a couple of lead vehicles up front, a couple of support vehicles on the side. Even the tow truck has another car rolling back behind it. And they're acting very casually. The war boys are throwing things at Max to taunt him.
0: You're right. I definitely agree that they are grouped strategically. They are very relaxed. I'm grateful that you pointed out that they were throwing things at him because something like appears to fall off of him. And I thought it was his hat. I'm like, oh, poor Max. He lost his hat. But now that you say that it was thrown at him, now I see... It like bounce off of him.
1: And this whole shot is a slow fade to black anyway. So it is. It's not like there's a ton of tiny details that we need to see. No. Because for the next couple of seconds, it is just black screen.
0: And when we come back up to the next scene is my favorite moment of this minute. Okay. So we start out with clumps of hair getting dumped into the dirt.
1: Familiar sight.
0: And a child's hand collecting it up familiar sight.
1: Except this one isn't wearing bird wings.
0: It is not. It is painted pale. It's,
1: it's a war pup.
0: It is a war pup. And I have to admit, I really like the label war pup. It's really cute.
1: It's adorable.
0: It is. It's my favorite moment of this minute because it calls back so strongly and so obviously to Thunderdome.
1: Mm-hmm. References to Beyond Thunderdome aside, I checked the listener submissions. This war pup is likely collecting Max's hair so that it can be repurposed to use when stitching up wounds. When we see the organic mechanic in a couple of seconds, we will see that his hair is really patchy, and that's from him cutting off lengths of it to use as stitches.
0: Oh, and considering the overall health of the entire community, they're either starving to death on the ground, or they have questionable genetics up in the Citadel Heights, there's not a lot of hair to go around. Mm-hmm. So it is a precious commodity. And that idea of precious commodities is also reflected in what happens to Max next.
1: Okay, two options. Do you want to talk about Tom Hardy first or do you want to talk about the tattooing first?
0: Let's talk about Tom Hardy first because okay. I feel we're kind of late talking about Tom Hardy.
1: Right, because we've seen him since last week. And now that we're just the two of us... Feel a little bit more comfortable going into talking about him.
0: Yeah, we didn't want to waste our guests' time talking about mundane actor histories.
1: Although I'm pretty sure Mark would have hung out with us even longer than we planned.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: It was the middle of the day for him. Max Rokitansky, as we mentioned in the opening credits, is played by Tom Hardy. IMDb lists his top four best-known roles as Eames from Inception, Bane from The Dark Knight Rises... Locke from the movie Locke. His first name was Ivan in that one, but I've been saying just single frame names. Anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. And then, of course, Max from Fury Road. Tom Hardy was born September 15th, 1977 in Hammersmith, London, England. His mother, Elizabeth Ann, is an artist and painter, while his father, Chip, is a writer. He attended the Drama Center in London along with fellow Oscar nominee Michael Fassbender. And at 24 years old, he made his television debut in the miniseries Band of Brothers, playing John Janovich. Following that role, he left his studies at the Drama Center and was subsequently cast as Twombly in Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down in 2001. And he played the villain Shinzon in Star Trek Nemesis in 2002.
0: Okay, I have seen two out of those three things, and I cannot pick him out. I've seen Black Hawk Down, and I have seen, what was the third one you said?
1: Star Trek Nemesis. And
0: I've seen Star Trek Nemesis. Can't place him. I've also seen Inception. Can't place him in that either.
1: As far as Star Trek Nemesis is concerned, I actually pulled it up on YouTube, a scene with him in it, because I haven't seen Nemesis at all. Shinzen is the, I guess, spoiler alert, Jean-Luc Picard clone.
0: Okay. I still have no idea who you're talking about.
1: (laughs) I'll have to show you a clip. After we're done recording so that you can get a sense of who he was. Yes. It's incredibly disorienting to watch because he is so much younger.
0: Mm -hmm. I imagine so.
1: Since 2002, he's been working consistently in both television and movies. A couple of other movies that I did not mention before include 2004's Layer Cake, which was my introduction to Daniel Craig. He was the lead character in 2008's Bronson which seems like an absolutely insane movie. And, of course, he was in 2018's Venom, where he got covered in black alien goo as Eddie Brock.
0: I never really know what to say about Tom Hardy, because he is such a prominent character in a movie that I love, in a franchise that I love. Like, to me, he's a household name. But when it comes to his other work, I'm just so unfamiliar with it.
1: (laughs) Well, he was also in... The 2009 miniseries run of Wuthering Heights as the lead character Heathcliff.
0: Of course he was.
1: I can't stand the story of Wuthering Heights. Neither can I. But I can see how Tom Hardy would easily fit that role.
0: Isn't Heathcliff like tall, dark, and brooding type?
1: Yeah, but take Darcy and just make him even more of a colossal a-hole. Okay. I cannot stand Wuthering Heights. I can't tell you beat for beat the story of it, but I had such a bad experience reading it in school that I have utter contempt for it. He was also, speaking of television, on the period crime drama Peaky Blinders between 2014 and 2017, and in 2017, he also was the lead in the TV show Taboo, which we watched the first season of.
0: Yes, that was a weird show.
1: It was a very weird show.
0: But weird in an interesting way, I would have liked to see where it went. Now, I'm assuming they never made a season two.
1: They did make a season two.
0: Oh, well, then we need to watch that.
1: We really do.
0: Because it ended season one in a very interesting place. And frankly, I'm glad the sister's gone. (laughs) She's the one who made everything weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you want to know a weird detail about Taboo? Sure. One of the writers on that show, Chip Hardy, his dad. Really? Yep.
0: So his dad wrote a show that his son performed in where the character has sex with his sister. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, it was really weird to see. I pulled a couple of fun trivia things off of his IMDB page. He had a dog given to him when he was a teenager. The dog's name was Max, named after the character that he is now playing. Really? Yep.
0: That's great.
1: Unfortunately, the dog passed in 2011.
0: That is sad, but it's also fitting, because Max can't have nice things.
1: Given animal life...
0: uh, Expectancy?
1: Yeah, given animal life expectancy, it's not a surprise. Tom Hardy is also the only actor to play a villain in both a Star Trek film and a Batman film.
0: Really? That was on his trivia page? Yeah. That just doesn't really seem like something... Okay, I said it in my head, and then I realized it was dumb. I was gonna say, that doesn't really seem like something that people care about. And then I remember the fandom surrounding Star Trek and the fandom surrounding Batman and how, like, insane they are, and enthusiastic and thorough. They would absolutely look for ways to cross over.
1: Speaking of DC properties, like Batman, Tom Hardy was cast as Rick Flagg in 2016's Suicide Squad, but he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts with the Revenant.
0: Rick Flagg, is that the one who got blown up?
1: Rick Flagg is the one who was sleeping with the lady who became the Enchantress. He was the army guy that was kind of bland.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Because the guy that got blown up, I can actually picture Tom Hardy in that role.
1: Are you talking about the ropes guy?
0: Yes, the ropes guy.
1: He got his head blown off? Yeah, no. It was a good idea for him to do The Revenant instead because as of 2018, Tom Hardy has appeared in four films that were nominated for a Best Picture Oscar Inception in 2010, Fury Road in 2015, The Revenant also in 2015, and Dunkirk in 2017.
0: He has made some very excellent choices.
1: Absolutely.
0: Is there anything on that list that's like not an excellent choice that's, you know, fun to make fun of?
1: Let me pull the list up real quick. That's hard to say because he's also been in movies like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He was in the 2011 movie Warrior about those brothers in Boston that have to box each other. That was critically acclaimed. I'm looking through his list and there's nothing that stands out to me as particularly egregious. Some people might look at the Star Trek movies and think those are egregious in and of themselves, but I can't speak to that.
0: Yeah, it's hard to label it as a good movie or a bad movie or a successful movie or a bomb because it's now part of a fandom that's huge. So you're always going to find millions of people who love the movie.
1: And as is typical with English actors and honestly, many actors in general, he also has a robust stage career that started when he was younger and has continued sporadically over his career.
0: He would be an interesting stage actor. I think I would like to see that.
1: So getting back into the minute, we catch up with Max in our first instance where we can clearly see his face, which is mainly why I wanted to bring up his history as an actor here. And he's lying on a table and his arms and legs are being pulled in every direction to keep him steady because working on Max's back is none other than the organic mechanic who we'll talk about more in a later minute. But he is furiously scribbling away at a complex tattoo on Max's back.
0: This tattoo, it feels to me, and I know this isn't correct, but it feels to me like he is adding information to a previous tattoo. (laughs) It feels like he is just notating a new fact in Max's medical record, which I know is untrue. This is all very clearly fresh. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. So, do you have a clear picture of this tattoo on your screen?
0: I do. Some things that I can pick out no lumps, no bumps, piss good. No, piss okay. I think next to where it says okay circled, I think it says genitals intact. Mm hmm. Multiple scars. I can't see what it says before fast, it's obscured by some blood.
1: So, Peter Pound.
0: Oh my gosh. You have it, like, all transcribed.
1: That's why I asked if you had a clear picture of it. You
0: are such a butt.
1: You could have said no, and I would have shared this with you.
0: I I did. I have a clear picture of it.
1: So Peter Pound, when he was working on designs for this movie, drew out exactly what was going to be tattooed onto Max's back. So at the top, it says day 12,045, which works out to a even 33 years. So I don't know if... They're estimating Max's age by writing 12,045, or they've been in the Citadel for 33 years. It's not clear what that day is for. I'm guessing that it says day 12,045 because that's how long they've been at the Citadel.
0: The same thing with how we mark time here, the year 2019. It's pretty arbitrary. And it's the year 2019 because we all agree that it's the year 2019. So... This dating system that they have is also arbitrary. Everybody agrees at what point to start counting one, two, three, and that's just the way it is. And Hmm. we in our society have the ability to share that common start date, but they don't.
1: It also lists next to the day, Max's height is 10 hands, and he is currently 180 pounds, which is not bad for a guy out in the wilderness of a wasteland.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a lot for someone who is, guarantee you, he's malnourished. He doesn't look it. He looks like he's 180 pounds. But that just doesn't feel very practical.
1: Remember what Mark said. If we pay attention towards the middle of the movie, he's going to look even heavier. And then by the end, he'll look thinner again.
0: Yes. Are you looking up how much Tom Hardy weighs?
1: I'm looking up his height. Ah. He's five foot nine.
0: I'm looking up how much ten hands is. The first thing that I got to with measuring with hands is for horses, because that's how you measure horses. Mm-hmm. It only goes down to 12. Oh, okay. It doesn't go down to 10 hands.
1: Gotcha. When I saw that Tom Hardy is five foot nine, I thought, oh, how tall was Mel Gibson again? Mel Gibson, for those that forgot, like I did, is five foot 10.
0: Oh, okay. They're uh,
1: comparable, but he probably needs to have like one inch wedges in his boots just to get that height. Not that it really matters.
0: So, one source that I found. It doesn't measure humans by hand. This particular one is for mules and donkeys. Ten hands is 40 inches. So that's definitely not the same conversion that they're using.
1: Certainly not.
0: I'm only finding it for animals, for horses and mules and whatnot.
1: Well, getting back to the tattoo, it lists the days, the height, the weight. Then it says no name. So Max did not share his identity with his kidnappers. I don't imagine he would. But as you mentioned, it says no lumps, no bumps, full life clear, two good eyes, no busted limbs, piss okay, genitals intact, multiple scars, heals fast, O plus high octane, universal donor.
0: Interesting, because on his skin, it says O negative. Really? Yeah.
1: I wonder if Peter Pound thought O plus was the universal donor, and it's actually O negative. I'm guessing that you're on that right now.
0: There's a universal... Donor and a universal receiver. Mm -hmm. O negative is the universal donor.
1: Okay. So So they fixed it. Sketch, they had the right letter, but they didn't have the right plus or negative. Yeah. The important thing is that he can give blood to anybody. And so the reason why we linger on this shot specifically is for universal donor. And it's going to be reinforced later on, thanks to the uh, organic mechanic there. Mm Mm-hmm. Underneath Universal Donor, it mentions that he is a lone road warrior run down on the Powder Lakes. And then next to that, it says V8 with a circle around it.
0: So I assume that means this is where we found him. This is what he was driving that we took. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they're recording his property. But if it's no longer his property, why are you recording his property? Yeah. It's not his anymore.
1: It's strange to think that they would record. Okay, he was driving a V8. They say right on here. No gasoline, no supplies. So his car was running on empty, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't carrying any food or weapons or anything like that. So why list the engine size, the gas amount, and the supply
0: count? Yeah, he's already been relieved of those things. Yeah. I also find interesting the label of a road warrior. We are so used to calling Max the road warrior. As
1: if he's the only one.
0: yes. But no, he's not the only one. The label Road Warrior is a category of person who lives on the road, travels from resource to resource to resource, and that's what they do.
1: We always thought that the wonderful thing about Road Warriors is that Road Warriors are a wonderful thing. They're, you know, I was going to do the whole thing, and then I realized that I don't know how to translate the tops are made of the rubber, the bottoms are made of the springs. They're bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun but the most wonderful thing about Road Warriors is that Max is the only one. If I don't do the middle part, it doesn't quite work. But No,
0: it doesn't, but you're going to leave that in anyways, aren't you?
1: At the bottom of, or I guess top of, Max's tattoo, because it is all written upside down weirdly, it says very specifically, isolate, psychotic, keep muzzled.
0: Yep, yeah, that sounds about right. He's about to prove their point.
1: Exactly, because they are finished with this tattoo. The organic mechanic seems to be cleaning up. And off to the side, we see that a war boy has lifted a red-hot brand out of the fire that bears the insignia of Immortan Joe, a skull inside of a burning ring.
0: This feels like a roll credits moment. The way that the brand is bright orange and is centered on the screen for us to see so clearly. In my head, I go, roll credits. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's great because we get shown off... As it's lifting out, and then the war boy turns around and the brand returns to center screen just to enforce its importance here. Yes. I was looking through the art book for the movie, and they show about 10 variations on the symbol. But in the little blurb next to it, Peter Pound estimates that he and Colin Gibson, who was the production designer, drew up somewhere between 25 and 50 different symbols before George Miller settled on this one.
0: Man, I would kill to have those rejects, because this symbol is the inspiration for our podcast logo.
1: Yeah, kind of (laughs) shamelessly.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, we wanted there to be no mistake as to what we talk about, and we put the microphone in the middle instead of the skull. It would be so awesome to have one of those rejected insignias to draw a little bit more inspiration from
1: <laughs> i just want one made out of metal or something like that something that we can hang up on the wall of the garage as a wall art thing porter who people might remember me mentioning and having on the show from our season road warrior he's been getting into a lot of crafting lately and so he might be a good person to poke a little bit be like hey when you get into metalworking, you know
0: yeah he's done welding he's done forging too
1: mm-hmm. okay. he's getting there he is. As this war boy is approaching Max, he turns his head slightly as if his spider senses are tingling, which is weird because he doesn't have a symbiote attached to him. So how would he know these things (laughs) prematurely? But I guess someone said something about a brand because he has reached the end of his patience. And so he gathers his strength, wrenches down on the chains, and just starts wrecking house. And I guess when you're done, you're done. I am... Finished being held down to this table. I'm good, guys.
0: I'm leaving now. Exactly. This feels like a very max moment to me. I'm having trouble in my head paralleling it to something that's happened in previous movies. It just feels very max. Mm -hmm. To never give up, never surrender, to.
1: Aye, aye, Tigert, sir.
0: (laughs) To keep fighting. And as we see in the next few minutes, keep fighting, even though it's futile. Mm -hmm.
1: Because by Grapthar's hammer, (laughs) you will be avenged. (laughs) All right. With that, we reached the end of today's minute. So be sure to come back on Wednesday. Max is going to continue just wrecking everybody in this room before hightailing it out of there and leading us on a rather rushed and improvised, but still a tour of the citadel or at least this floor of the citadel (laughs) the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham
0: The mad max franchise was created by george miller and byron kennedy is presented by kennedy miller mitchell productions and distributed by warner brothers
1: mad max minute is produced and edited by rick ingham our opening music is Verdi's dies by daniel bautista of danielbautista.com
0: our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone.
1: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our tea Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks
0: full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 4 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.